everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 podcast. I am your host, April Hanna, and I have a couple of announcements before we get to our show. Uh, one of the things I wanted to let you guys know is that sometimes uh, the authors actually send me their books. Uh, instead of getting a PDF file, I get the hardcover book or softcover book, and I thought that it would be nice after I read it if I decided that we would be giving them out for free. And we have those contests running on our Facebook page, so if you haven't liked our Facebook page yet, please um, do a little search for us, uh, look for Path 11 Productions, and you'll find our page. And what we do is uh, week to week, we will post books that we do get from our authors. And we just ask that you like the post and you tag a friend. And if you can, share the post. Because one, we would like to get the word out more about the Path 11 podcast and our production company. Two, we'd like to spread the word a little bit further for our authors that we have on our show and letting people know about the great work that is out there and the people that we're interviewing. So we did our first book giveaway, and it was uh, the book given to us by Irvin Laszlo, and the winner was Matthew Shaker. So I love how we just interact with people on the internet and who are connected through the Path 11 podcast, listen to us or on social uh, network sites. And so he was the winner and he decided to contact us. And he said, you know what? I actually create music and was wondering, I would like to share my music with you. So and he's like, I was wondering if you'd like to listen to it. So I said, yeah, absolutely. And he sent us uh, a five minute song that was actually very beautiful. I loved it. And um, he's paying tribute to the teachings of David Wilcock and Corey Good. So that's what this song was inspired by. His song is called Blue Avion, and I thought it would be nice to start the show off just with a little taste of this beautiful song. And then we are going to end uh, the podcast with the full five minutes. And the song again is called Blue Avion by Matthew Shaker. And you can search for that on YouTube if you would like to listen to it over and over again, or follow him and subscribe to his channel. So we love to support other people who are also on the spiritual path, and it sounds like Matthew is. So we wanted to share that with you. And now I'd like to introduce you to our guest today. I am going to be speaking with Kingsley Dennis. He's a PhD and a full-time writer and researcher. He is the author of several critically acclaimed books, including The Sacred Revival, The Phoenix Generation, New Consciousness for a New World, Struggle for Your Mind, After the Car, and the celebrated Dawn of the Akashic Age with Irvin Laszlo. Kingsley is the author of numerous articles on social futures, new technologies, digital culture and new media, and conscious evolution. He is the co-author of the study New Media for a New Future, the Emerging Digital Landscape for a Planetary Society, produced as part of the Fuji Declaration for the Goy Peace Foundation in collaboration with the renowned global think tank, the Club of Budapest. He currently serves as Director of Publications for the Laszlo Institute of New Paradigm Research. Welcome to the Path Loving Podcast. Hello, April, and thank you for the invitation. Yes. Yeah, so we we have um, kind of a neat connection. The way that we ended up finding you, we were kind of we found uh, Pim von Lomel, which led us to Irvin Laszlo, which led us to you. And um, our our episode with Irvin has already been out. It's episode 132. And I thought that that might kind of be a neat place to start just with the whole synchronicity of how people come together and get connected. And I was wondering if you'd like to talk a little bit about your relationship and friendship with Irvin. Of course. Yes. It's, and it's a good connection also. Um, 
I mean, I, I, I'd been reading Irvin's work for a number of years, including his work with the Club of Budapest. And at the time, I was still at, I was working at university in the sociology department. And um, I'd done some research on his research and published on his uh, evolutionary theories. And so the, um, to cut it short, um, when I came to write my first monograph, the book which eventually came out as New Consciousness for a New World, I, I wrote to Irvin and I asked him if he would kindly um, write an endorsement for it. And he wrote back and he said, well, I like the book so much, I'll write the forward to it. Um, and I was very grateful for it, it wasn't expected. And then after that, we just forged a friendship. He came back to me and said, uh, if I asked, asked if I would like to uh, work on some projects of his, and we came together and we edited a book together, which came out as the new Science and Spirituality Reader. I went to visit him. We did some interviews together. Um, I got involved with his Club of Budapest work, and we co-authored a book together, and we've been working um, on and off ever since. And that was way back, I think, around beginning very early 2009. So it's been about nine years. Yeah. yeah. And when we spoke to him, we were talking to him about uh, his book, Intelligence of the Cosmos. And you actually had a little section in there that you wrote. So it was, it was kind of cool to be introduced to your work through that. Mm, good. Yes. I mean, I, I consider him a friend first and foremost. And then Obviously, the, the the professional relationship came first, but our work is so similar, and that's where we connect. And I've always resonated with his view. Um, he is a, a you know, as you know, a science philosopher, but uh, also a, a very open-hearted and uh, open-minded person. And so, you know, we've kind of bandied ideas around together, and so we often reach it out to help each other in our work also. So, um, so yeah, that's good connection. Yeah. And, you know, typically when I start a podcast, I usually ask the person to tell us about your story, how you got here. But you really have an amazing story that is written so well on your website that I actually want the reader, our listeners to actually go to your website and read about you without having you having to take us through the whole story, because it's really a fascinating one and one to read. And, you know, you can find uh Kingsley story on kingsleydennis.com. But one of the things that the question that I wanted to ask you more in your journey, as I read your book and listen to your YouTubes, I would love to be inside of your head maybe for just one day. <laughs> because <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> well, because I mean, the amount of information that you hold, I wouldn't even know what to do with the brain that you have. But you know, I'm just fascinated by your ability to collect so much research. I mean, you dig into so much history, the amount of books that you have written, to me, that is a calling. Um, and I'm, I'm just curious to know how you knew, not so much about like the full story of how you got here, but how you knew that you were being called, uh, you know, to write all of this material and to get this information out there and to be a researcher of consciousness. Mm. Well, that's very kind of you, April. Um, in a way, I've, I've always sense that my calling was to to be a writer. And I first tried my hand at that as a young man in fiction writing. And I when I when I first left university, I mean, I was writing fiction before, but I decided to dedicate a few years to my life purely writing fiction. And um, nothing came of it. Um, I got rejected. And I think quite reasonably so looking back at my past manuscripts. But I, I felt compelled to try to understand the world and, and to transcribe that understanding. And so I decided to go back and 
um, train myself both uh, intellectually and academically in that sense, and also to travel the world and to learn. And this, it, I came around full circle because I got to the point where when I did become finally published, it was in research and nonfiction, something which I I didn't have no no idea about when I was a young man. I thought it, I would reach out through fiction. So it was a pleasant surprise. Um, but also when I got to the point where I, I was able to write and say something which was, um, let's say, communicable or, in, or um, it wasn't garbled, um, I had to spend... Uh, you know, 20 years in that process. And so when people ask me, how long did it take to write your first book, my sole authored book? Um, actually, it took about three or four months of physically writing it. But that's not really the truth. The truth is it took me 20 years to get to a place where I could write it. So I think it, I think the problem is, is that um, intelligence isn't wisdom. And they're, they're very far apart. There's an old Eastern saying which says that you see a donkey carrying a load of books, but you don't assume the donkey is clever. Um, so I think, you know, there's a danger that we can sometimes collect too much, but we don't process it. And so I had to go through uh, many years of living experience in traveling where I could come to a stage where I could process the ideas because it's no good just carrying them. If you can't transmit them or make use of them, then then what are you going to do with it? Right. Yes. Well, the book that I want to talk about today that I did have a chance uh, to read that you wrote is The Sacred Revival. Mm -hmm. And um, a pretty cool topic, I think, for us to get into because we haven't really talked about it too much. I, I don't think with any of our authors, but it's it's how you know there was a part in the book where you are talking about how we're kind of losing our understanding as a species due to technology and how technology is kind of interfacing with consciousness. So, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Now, I'm I'm a great uh, supporter of technology. I I enjoy the gadgets as well, and I think it's brought a whole new uh, meaning to our lives. The question is, though, is that we have to be in balance with it. And at the moment, we're running away with our technological advancements, and we're operating in all all new areas, and not only outer space but inner space, particularly with our. Uh, genetic engineering and our nanotechnologies. We're now going into quantum computing. We're meshing silicon um, with carbon, with quantum. And these are all useful developments. But unless we can also be at a stage where we have the conscious awareness of what technology can achieve, then the danger is of of, um, creating a gulf, a divide between these tools and, and ourselves. So you know, we are creating, we are creators in this aspect. And yet we haven't really, you know, we've gone to the to space, into the solar system, we've gone to the depths of the ocean, but we haven't gone to the depths of the human self and the human being. And I feel that without gnosis, and by gnosis, I mean a direct experience of um, the self, the sacred and our, our connections with the larger cosmos, without that interior realm, um, technologies may take us for a ride with unintended consequences, and those unintended consequences will not be linear. They will be uh, amplified. Um, we're now living as a as a global species, and so we'll see ramifications across the planet. So, as I say, we have tools, but the tools are a two-edged sword, and we need to really reflect upon that before we start developing these runaway algorithms. So, as I say, I'm, I'm a supporter and of technologies that we can work with it, but it must be in a harmonious and uh, a wise relationship. And what are some of those unintended consequences? Could you elaborate on that? 
Well, I think we've seen them already um, because, um, as everything, when when you have a, a new tool and you realise its great potential, then you want to generally exploit it. It's a human nature. It goes back to, you know, the uh, Francis Bacon's idea of of um, you know. Uh, grasping away nature for for the human purpose the old uh i suppose the old scientific paradigm and, um, and so we see that um as we see now that it's a new playground we've only had these technologies really for you know uh, really for a couple of decades and, and i'm talking now about such as the the internet and algorithms and artificial intelligence they've only been coming to a head recently so i think we're in a kind of playground and the problem is that when you're in that playground like we're at school you get the school bully who always wants to be you know top of the top of the gang and the hierarchy the moment we're seeing some very powerful players doing research into these technologies, but without any kind of public accountability, in secrecy as well. And that's, and with a lot of money. So you put those factors together, secrecy, non-transparency, throwing out a lot of money at these things without accountability. Um, we really don't know what those consequences are, because as I said, they're not going to be linear. And so I think um, I'm, I'm not wishing to be scary, but I think that we need to have a more uh, a more transparent focus on these because otherwise we're going to see perhaps some kind of social ordering and social management coming into play which may not be beneficial to our um, rights and our freedoms and do you what do you think that there's another way that we could use technology in more of the positive way to be able to explore the inner self? Or do you believe that really the exploration of the inner self uh, needs to be done in more old, old tradition ways? Well, I think it's, I think it's a mixture. I and mean, I talked a lot about the benefits of technology in a previous book called The Phoenix Generation and about how the younger generations are, are really kind of reaching out to the technologies and using them from a bottom up perspective. And that's the difference when something is centralized and when something is bottom up and, and kind of um, networked and shared and participate, it's a different energy. And so when these technologies uh, being used to communicate, and I think there's a great amount of empathy being shared through these communication communication networks, which I, I think is very rewarding and, and will benefit um, our planet and our communities. And we've seen a lot of advances, um, not only in developed countries, but more so in developing areas of the world through communication. So that side I feel very positive about. Um, the question about the inner spaces, in a sense, that that is the the age-old technology. Um, I like to call it technologies of the soul. Um, in that sense, I don't feel that we really need um, hardware technologies because that is um, that is the the primordial technologies of, of the inner self, the being through meditation, through an internal uh, contact and self-reflection. But I think put those two together, when if we become more no knowing, knowledgeable, more balanced. Uh, more um, in equilibrium as a species, then we can use the external technologies to share that with empathy, and to, with communication, with compassion. Um, but it, the danger is, is that often our technologies, our external technologies are a reflection of our inner state. They're like a blueprint for how we are. And the danger is, is that we reflect in uh, an inner state, which is unstable, and that comes outside. The great uh, psychologist Carl, um, Carl Jung talked about the danger of psychic epidemics. He means that if we're not balanced inside, then we'll project that. And if you have communication technologies and great technologies to 
to spread that, then we, you know, we we have to think about the medium, the content of what we're spreading. Yeah, I would agree with that. And you know, I think that anyone that is connected on some sort of social media site. Every, all of us can see that, you know, people mm-hmm. uh, tend to speak a little more freely, um, you know, just certain things that people are posting or pictures of themselves or selfies or this, that and the other thing, you know, from a psychology perspective, and that is my background, it's interesting to see what lies beneath that, because I I do hear what you're saying, where some of the stuff in the work that we haven't done within ourselves can really come out just through our fingertips by a quick typing of a post or a message. Sure. I mean, uh, and, you know, through my work, I, I tend to always take a positive stance because I see that in the long term, things will play out. In the short term, we have to um, learn to understand the new toys, so to speak. And so that's why we may have a bit of disruption along the way. Um, but I think what we're dealing with now is a new phenomenon. And, you know, 10 years ago, we didn't have the social media and uh, even five years ago, we didn't have the, the media that we have to the extent we do today, and especially with all these um, sub-realms of, of the algorithms and, and all the bots and the rest of it. So I think we, I think it's also a, a, re, a good time to take a reflection upon ourselves and, and put up a, a filter and say, look, how much do I want to share myself in which domain? Because what I put out there will always leave a digital trace. Regardless of what the small print says when you sign up, those traces always remain and are collected. And so I think it's also a catalyst that makes us aware that um, what we put out is out there for the world and may be shared in in so many ways that uh, we're not aware of. So we we should be more mindful. And so, you know, at the moment, it's a bit of a playing field where we're not actually sure what the toys can do. And so it's a good time to, to bring that reflection back home. And you said things will play out. And early on in your book, uh, one of the first sentences of the early chapter says, everything comes around again. And I enjoyed that chapter because you went in through different periods and cycles. And I learned about the Hindu yugas. I had never heard of that before. And I was wondering if you can explain that a little bit more in depth. Well, yes, uh, in a sense, I, I feel that everything really is a cycle. And we see these patterns both on a, on a cosmic sense. I mean, we have the zodiac, we have the procession of the equinox, we have uh, these great um, galactic and um, solar cycles, which do affect, obviously, um, life and life on this planet. And um, as above, so below, we have cycles which affect um, our ocean water cycles, our climate cycles. We have the rise and fall of civilizations, which, um, if you look at the long tail of that, they do have a kind of pattern to them. And and so I think there is a there is a, a cyclical nature and there's that famous phrase that if you you know if you don't learn from the mistakes of your history, you're bound to repeat them in a sense that we you know we may go back to the place again. And so I you know, that in that sense there there's a great pattern to human behavior. Um because you know we we are um a sense a species that's evolved in this planet over hundreds of thousands of years. So we are embedded in both the earth, earthly patterns as well. But the one thing that can break us out from that is a leap in consciousness. So unless we are, um, manage to engage on that leap of consciousness, there's a potential that we may be stuck in the in the ongoing cycles of rise and fall, rise and fall, civilizational 
collapse. And this, so I think we're now at a very, uh, we're at a crucial point where we need to take that leap in conscious awareness and growth of consciousness to make sure that we we actually move a cycle onto a new path and not a recurring rise and fall cycle. If that if that makes sense, to April. It does. It makes me think of a part of your book where you talk about um, somatic consciousness is another word for our intuitive intelligent intelligence. And I think that's what you're also speaking of, of, of how do we tap back into that intuitive intelligence? Indeed. So, um, you know, they, the way we can put it is that there's um, generally there's two types of intelligence or two types of, of uh, knowledge. One is acquired intelligence and one is intuitive intelligence in quiet uh, sorry acquired intelligence is that which we're often taught at school taught in our cultures we we pick it up from many of our social institutions and these vary from different uh, cultural upbringings or, or cultural contexts and so you know when we say we have an opinion on this and we we believe that often this is acquired information which i or acquired intelligence. And that's very different from the intuitive, where we sense something, we, it comes from within. Um, we, we don't really need to have it validated in a book or or we don't have to have a certificate given to us saying we've earned it, we, you know, we are, it's our birthright. And I sense that in the far past, a lot of our ancestors lived more by this intuitive intelligence. What, um, what they survived by this, they, you know, they didn't have the same degrees of social condition that we have today. So I think this has come to a head whereby we've been bombarded by this acquired intelligence, especially with our media and propaganda. And we've perhaps started to forget or stop listening to this intuitive intelligence, which is the, the birthright of the human being, because we have this knowledge inherent in ourselves, in our DNA, in our very being. And we need to, we need to bring this out more and, um, put it on a par with the knowledge that we can learn from our external investigations. Now, if our listeners head over to your website and read your story on the about page, they will see that to me, you have very strong intuitive intelligence. And, you know, the fact that you just kind of packed up, walked away from everything, you know, and came to Spain with all that you had, which wasn't very much, tells me that you were really relying a lot on intuitive intelligence. And I was wondering if you can talk a little bit more about how you've used intuitive intelligence throughout your life to be able to do what you're doing. I know you live off of your own land, you love to garden, you have your own water system there where you are. So how do you use it in a daily life for yourself? Um, yes, that's a good question. And I think it's, it's different for everybody. And, you know, a lot of my colleagues thought I was a bit crazy just packing the bags and going. You're right. I, you know, I, I spent a number of years at university um, developing my career. I had a lot of, you know, peer review publications. I was doing well, et cetera, et cetera. But I came to a point where I, I intuitively felt that it's not really what I should be doing or what I came here to do. And but we have that we have that fear, which is very natural. The fear is like, what am I giving up? And so I turn that question around because if I if I asked, what am I giving up? Well, I'm giving up a, a potential lucrative career, uh, probably a career for life in university, good salary, um, you know, and the rest of it. But I turned it around and said, well, what have I got to lose? And I felt that what I've got to lose is myself, which is everything. Um, if I lose it, 
And all the rest, the career trappings and, and the status didn't really hold water against myself. And so in terms of leaving behind the career, I've got nothing left, nothing to lose in that respect. And so I trusted I trusted my intuition. Um, and, and I think, you know, we do get we do get in. We do get kind of uh, embroiled by lots of layering, social layers. We have family, we have careers, we have financial obligations, and so it's you know it's it's not easy to say give it all up. Um, what I'm saying is that perhaps we have to reconsider what are our priorities in life, what really makes us happy, because at the end of the day, um, you know, we can't take anything with us. But ourselves, and there's a there's a good um, story about that which goes to um, Alexander the Great, Alexander of um, Macedonia, who conquered um, a lot of the lands in his age. He's a you may know from history, he's a great well, he's a conqueror, great or not, and he was um, very wealthy, very famous. He had everything, and before he died, he told his um, his he left his will, and he said, "I want you to." Um, I want the doctors to carry my coffin, not my uh, my friends. I want you to put all my jewels and all my money across the path that you're walking across. And I want my hands, palm up, to be hanging outside the coffin. And when they asked him, why do you want these three things? He said, one, I want the doctors to carry my coffin to show the world that not all the doctors in the world, not even the best doctors in my empire, could save me from death or save anyone from death. That was number one. Two, lay out all the wealth along the floor because I want people to see and to know that you can't take this wealth with you. Whatever you have, you can't take that wealth with you if it's material. And three, I want my hands to be hanging out the coffin with my palms up to show the world that I came into this world with nothing and I leave with nothing. Oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing that story. I've never heard of that before or spoken as eloquently as you did. <laughs> yeah, it really makes you stop to think, right? I mean, sometimes our, our Western culture can just drive us to work, 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 make this money, buy, 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 you know, but it's so true. You know, at the end, we, we come in with nothing, we leave with nothing. Well, yes, we all, all we can take with is ourself, but we can develop that self. And so... You know, it's not. No one's really to blame. This is just the, the trappings and the layerings of of a of a material social world, which is we have to live within it. Um, the question is how we see things. The perspective we have allows a different type of context. So, if you think that I've got everything to lose, you won't make the big changes. But if you turn it around and think, well, you know, if I'm working on on something which really matters to me. Um, then I've got nothing to lose. So really how we see things and how we tell and train ourselves to see things allows us to have a context which either works for us or doesn't. And in that's what I'm trying to say is that we need to have a perspective that is beneficial for our well-being. And then when we have that perspective, such big choices as moving away or leaving things behind doesn't become a big, such a big choice after all. Right. And I would agree with you. There's not not necessarily a right or a wrong way to be here or to live. But as you were talking about earlier, when we begin to explore the self, uh, then, and, you know, kind of ask these questions and be reflective of what is it that makes me happy? What do I have to lose? Like you said, then we become, I would say, a little more awake. You know, we hear that term a lot, um, awake to maybe what the real meaning and purpose is here. And some of those things tend to just fall away and we can become more focused 
focused on matters of the heart and happiness, ease and love. Mm-hmm. So true. And and the thing is, um, in our societies are not geared towards uh, creating happiness. Um, you know, that's the bottom line. They, they create entertainment, they create comforts and sometimes distractions. And they try to create an environment where we can live well. Um, perhaps, you know, be able to afford those things which uh, make makers content. But happiness, true human happiness is a different, it's a different issue. And so, um, you know, there's no, there's no tablet or prescription for happiness. We have to find it in ourselves in our own way. And, you know, we, you know, I think we have to be honest with ourselves. We have to ask ourselves, are we happy truly? Is this what I really want? And if it isn't, well, should I be doing something different? Um, because if you don't ask it now, you're probably asking it much, much later on and um, things would be harder to, to change or time would have passed. So it's it's a question of just looking at what's essential for us and, uh, you know, and making our own choices. It's individual for everybody. And there's no blame at all. It's um, it's a question that sometimes come to people sooner rather than later. Right. And there's also um, a sentence in your book, chaos is the order of the cosmos. And that kind of reminds me a little bit of what you're talking about right now, that many times I think people, we grow through drama or we go through, grow through chaos. It's in those times when things start to get rattled up a little bit um, that I think makes us turn around and ask those bigger questions. So I was hoping you could talk a little bit more about how chaos is the order of the cosmos. Well, yes. And, um, you know, nothing is static. Uh, we've heard the phrase and um, the philosophers of, of the old day, the Greek philosophers, um, you know, I think it was Heraclitus who said everything is flow. I mean, nothing is static. Nothing exists in a vacuum. Everything is whirling around. Everything is dynamic. Everything is in movement. And and so that that movement actually creates a kind of its own type of in- equilibrium. Just to give an example, uh, when you let out when you pull the plug in the bath water and the water goes out the plug, when it starts going around the plug, you see this vortex, um, you know, as the water is going down because that's such an intense energy. But because it's because it has to go through the plug hole, it creates a shape, that vortex. So it's, it's energy in dynamic, create um, chaotic energy in equilibrium. And I think that's a lot how, how we work also is that, you know, uh, the energies are in this chaotic um a movement, but they also need a certain kind of coherency. Otherwise, things would fall apart. But that chaoticness also allows the release of a lot of energy. And it's at those times when energy is released that you can have a certain um, spurt of development. Just to put it, um, let's say, again, another crude analogy is that often when we have social revolutions, afterwards we have great change because a lot of dynamic energy is, energy is being released into, the, into the, the social atmosphere. And so we should, as, as people, we should, when something chaotic or unexpected or uncertain happens, we should see that as perhaps energy to use and hopefully use it to make a, a change for the better. So, you know, we, we tend to tell ourselves that we want a stable life, um, but nothing's really stable. And r- right now, I think we have, we're moving through a period of great imbalance and instability in the world. But I, I do feel that in the long term, that will um, allow us to push to creative innovation and change. It just doesn't look like it right now, perhaps. 
Right. And when we were talking earlier about the different cycles and you talked about how, you know, there, there's usually what, what, everything comes around again, you had said, um, where there are periods of dark ages, you know, but then there's light that comes as well. Is that mm -hmm. what you're talking about now? In a way, yes. And, and also going back to the work um, of both Irving and myself, we, we worked in, in social systems and complex systems. And there's this, there's this um, analogy, which is called the tipping point. And the tipping point, I think, is quite, quite a well-known phrase. And what it means is that um, a system starts to get more complex and builds up more energy and more energy. And it gets to a point where the system has got so much dynamic energy into it or, or so much energy which is rocking around. The system has to make a choice. It comes to a tipping point. It either has to break down or break through. And if it breaks down, it starts again, which is we have another cycle. If it breaks through, then what it does is that this energy comes and creates something better, more stable and larger. And so... I think we're at that tipping point now where we can take this creative energy, which is disturbing the, a lot of uh, institutions and systems in the world right now, but it could be a breakthrough moment where the energy actually goes and, be, and is used creatively. Um, just a quick analogy as well, you know, when you play on the beach as a child and you're making these, these um, piles of sand, often you're making this wonderful pile and then you just put the last kind of few grains at the top and bluff it all falls down. It's, you know, it's the last few grains that make a difference. And so systems are more vulnerable. Um, chaotic systems are more vulnerable at uh, that final point. And that's why things seem so unstable. It's a, vulnerability is a sign that things are reaching a, a breakthrough point. Right. And I'd like to um, switch gears a little bit moving forward um, in your book. I really enjoyed the part where you were talking about channeling and how do we reconnect with the gods, even though that they may have left us, but that we're always in communication with them. And you referenced um, Seth and A Course in Miracles. And I was hoping you could talk a little bit more about that, about mm -hmm. connecting with our gods. Yes, I, I wrote that chapter and I wanted to make a point that really the gods or beings or intelligence never went away. It, it's we who forgot them. You know, I had, the, I had this image in my head, um, like an imagination, that perhaps there's a, a town somewhere in the world. It could be, you know, in, in the outback somewhere or in the Midwest. There's a town where nobody ever goes. And there the gods are residing, are forgotten. And uh, they're waiting for some visitors or some tourists to pass through and remember them. Um, so I, it's a sense that we need to reach back out to them or any kind of intelligence. And the word channeling um, has a lot of baggage. We often think of, like you say, you know, channeling in another intelligence or, uh, um, you know, seances or channeling um, non-terrestrial beings, like you said, Seth or other entities. But in fact, all we've we've always been channeling. It means receiving information, receiving uh, uh, a contact from the outside, and and we do it between ourselves. You know, when when we get thoughts, not all our thoughts originate in our heads. Often we are picking up on thoughts from elsewhere, from outside. We often channel our friends when you you have a thought at the same time or you say something at the same time. Uh, a lot of the great religions were based on channeling. Um, 
Muhammad, um, peace be upon him, when he was in the cave and he received uh, the words of the Quran, you could see that as a form of channeling. When the great traditions have said angels have spoken to us, that's a form of channeling. So I think we've probably boxed it into a, a very uh, simple category. But our brains are, are kind of like antennas. They're an open receiver. So all the time we're picking up and we're channeling information from outside. We just don't really realize it. And if we pay attention to that a little bit more, how would you say one can use uh, the channeling to really develop their inner self? It's, it's a form of listening. And, you know, if we truly listen to ourselves, then we have, you know, we have a voice that we may recognize. That voice often is a voice that we've carried with us throughout our lives. Um, it could be a voice that we, we um, term uh, our inner voice, or it could be a voice that um, has come from, elsewhere from outside and the and also we don't truly ask um how many you know uh, yes yeah, some of us pray uh we often go through rituals but how many times do we really sit down and genuinely ask for uh, a contact with with uh, an intelligence a voice uh, any kind of uh, contact and then listen to it listen to what it has to say we often demand things oh i wish things could get better can you help me can you do this and often when we're in times of distress we reach out but really when we should be reaching out when we're in times of of peace and and and, and content because then it's a genuine request it's not one out of necessity and uh, i think the key here as i said is just learning to listen um, and uh, learning to listen for that quiet voice, which sounds correct. Again, it's the instincts, it's your intuition. Trust your body. Sometimes when you you receive a, a thought or an intuition or a feeling, the body picks it up. Sometimes you, get, sometimes you have a little tingle. Um, often what I do, if I have a, a choice, like should I do this or should I do that, I just I verbalize the question um, out loud and say, should I do this? And then I pause and I wait, I feel my body. Does it feel right or not? So I think we should perhaps just trust ourselves a little more emotionally, intuitively and, and bodily. Well, and I like what you're saying there too, and just having that moment of pause. And also, like you said, asking when we're not in panic or fear or maybe in those times of chaos, but how to develop that relationship more with the whole consciousness system and with the cosmos, um, you know, when, when we are in a calmer state and use that as a guide as we walk through life. Yes, I mean, um, I think we should try to declutter things rather than, uh, uh, you know, complexify them. Um, we have all the resources and tools we need within us, uh, and we have great capacity. We've perhaps forgotten that, or we haven't realized how much potential we have. And so I think we perhaps should declutter both our uh, uh, external world and also um, ourselves. We should now and again do a bit of spring cleaning and declutter the inside, the mind, and and, and uh, allow ourselves to just um, simplify ourselves. When, when we're sitting with ourselves, it should be simple, not complicated. Yes, I, I would agree with that as well. And, you know, with all of the, the books that you've written and the research that you've done, I mean, what would you say is really your main takeaway for people? You know, what's the imprint that you would like to leave here and your message um, if you had to kind of put everything together that you have really come to learn and know and are still learning, but the one thing that resonates the most with you that you will take with yourself when you 
leave the physical body. What would that message be? Well, um, hard to sum up. Um, I would like to say that um, I feel that we are a noble species, regardless of what we see in the world and and the um, the scenes of ugliness. Um, These are signs that we haven't found ourselves, but we are a noble species. And when we really are uh, ourselves, there's incredible energies of compassion and love and well-being and forgiveness and empathy. These are the values. These are the human values. So I would say that being here in this life is really a journey to try to understand what it is to be human and how to be human. And when we depart this realm, uh, we should ask ourselves, have I become as, as human as is possible with those true values of, of empathy and compassion and love and forgiveness? Um, because these are the energies we can take with us. And um, these are the, the true meaning. And everything else is is secondary. So all the books you may write or read, everything else, um, you only take yourself with you and and you really, really should want to feel content and at peace with yourself. Beautifully said. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Kingsley, for being a guest on our podcast here. And for our listeners who would be interested in more of your work and the books that you've written, uh, where's the best way for them to find you and to purchase those books? Well, the easiest way for the books uh, really is online because, unfortunately, most bookshops don't stock my books. They find them too niche, and bookshops, sadly, are are few and far between. So I would say online is the best way to find the books. And also, if you go to my website, uh, kingsleydennis.com, and click on my menu button, which says Writings, I have about 50 essays that are all free to download and read and read. and other things, videos that people can watch. These are all free. So um, have a browse through them and take your time and um, do your homework and uh, and find your own path. And, And thank you for listening. Well, thanks again. It really was a pleasure. I enjoyed this conversation very much. Thank you, April. It's been a pleasure, and uh, thank you for reaching out to me for this invitation. Thanks for listening, everybody, and I hope you enjoyed our show. And today we are going to be signing off with some different music. And again, this is music by Matthew Shaker, and the song is called Blue Avion. 